Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 387 was recorded live November 15th, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the white part of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. I'm bundled up, got heavy boot socks on, and uh, I'm surviving. I just realized when I said the white part, I'm, I'm referring to snow. I'm, I'm sure that some would take that out of context and we'd be picketed here pretty soon. Well, you do know we have ice already. I saw that. I saw that uh, Kevin posted on Facebook and said that we had some ice. Yes. Oh, you know, in one it, way I'm not surprised, but geez, it's it's to actually have skimmed all the way across this early. Which means we could have good ice for January. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, for the New Year's dive too. Yeah, how long has it been since you had a, a good New Year's dive where you had to cut a hole? Last year. <laughs> Last year. <laughs> and the year before that. Wow. Uh, we've had enough to cut hole through, but not enough to make it really, really solid to do a, a really good daytime dive with lots of people. Yeah. Well, this could be the year for ice diving then, if we're, if we're skinning over already. Yeah. And that also might mean that uh, the water level is going to be even higher in Lake Michigan next year. And maybe cleaner, too. Looking forward to that. Well, I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We, we're, we're quite, I don't say we're full. We got we got capacity, but uh, we have a, a few more early on, or maybe just because we're starting so late. It's almost 10 o'clock tonight, but we have Eric and Derek and Karen. We have the uh, diehards back in. The diehards, the, one, the ones who stick through it, uh, which we have to thank. And then also a special thanks to Karen. Um, uh, she was at the uh, dive show. Uh, last weekend and passed out some flyers and I've already got emails from some people who want to be on the show. So I'm, I'm communicating with them, with them now and we'll have some guests lined up here yet before the end of the year. Yes. I, I took the advantage of, since I knew she went there and I saw her post, I put some of the uh, programs that she went to online or in the club newsletter, which I did send out already and have got posted on the club site. Yeah. And for those who want to, take a peek because i think that's just on our mud club that scubaobsessed.com and then get yep. there and, and read that so it's not you don't have to be a member to be able to get to them so they're there so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news the first article we have is a press release uh from dive heart and it's this one's from downers grove illinois which is where dive heart is out of december 13th 2018 Jim Elliott, founder of Downers Grove-based nonprofit Dive Heart, sees no physical boundaries to an organization, helps those with disabilities to find confidence in inner and outer strength through education scuba therapy. While the nonprofit is making an impact throughout the United States since its inception in 2001, it has recently made a difference in the lives of people with disabilities in Malaysia. In October, Elliott traveled to some town in Malaysia. You'll have to read the press release to pronounce it. 
uh, to give a presentation to officials who oversee the Tourism Malaysia, an agency under the country's Ministry of Tourism. Elliot shared Dive Heart's history, a sincere passion and buoyant enthusiasm for helping children and adults in an outline of how the nonprofit can further contribute. Dive Heart collaboration with the Tourism Malaysia presents a significant move forward to promote Malaysia as an adaptive scuba diving training and diving destination for people of all abilities in Asia and beyond, said Elliot. He told officials that creating a dive art program in Malaysia could be a template for the rest of the world. I'm proud that Malaysia has taken the lead in adaptive scuba training, programming, and scuba therapy research in Asia. The groundwork for collaboration began in 2012 when said Ab Raymond, a founder of the and director of Kids Scuba, an organization that supports Dive Art Malaysia, contacted Elliot about training adaptive divers. In March 2016, Raman uh, invited the nonprofit to conduct a scuba experience in Kuala Lumpur uh, in a nearby swimming pool with some of Raymond's staff. With guidance and support from Elliot, and, I, and I'm saying Raymond, it's, it's R-A-H-M-A-N, so it could be Raman. Uh, he has been overseeing the regular monthly pool scuba program and works closely with the University Malaya. Is that Malaya? That, that's Malaya Medical Center, UMMC, Rehabilitation Unit for Spinal Cord Injury, SCI patients. In October 2016, the program had its first UMMC SCI patients become Professional Association of Dive Instructor Scuba Divers. Many of the PADI UMMC divers have shared their experience and differences exhibitions and events throughout the country. Earlier this year, Raman helped Dive Art launch a program in Borneo region. Said has helped us usher in a new area of Malaysia and appreciation of not defining people with disabilities, not by their disability, but by their abilities, Elliot said. And if, as always, you can learn more about Dive Heart at their website, www.diveheart.org. And I understand that we've got some adaptive diving coming up here this weekend. That is correct, this uh, Saturday. And again, one of our listeners out there, meaning Karen, <laughs> she <laughs> took that uh, course last week. And I thought she may have taken, I'm not sure she'll have to cut in here, but I thought she took the instructor course that would allow them to then instruct in that. I know that was an offering they had, so I, I, I heard that she had taken that, but I'm not sure. Yeah, Eric in the chat room said he took the course, and she says that she's not an instructor. She didn't take that part of it then. Yep, but um, it's good, and and we know how much uh, they enjoyed it last year. Uh, Bob Bob took the course. Um, Kevin's taken the course, so we're starting to get quite a a collection of uh, divers who are able to support that. Yeah. So maybe you know that's up in Grand Rapids. Maybe they could have something down local maybe something in the Kalamazoo or South Bend area, you know, a different time of the year. Because that's through Mary Freebed, isn't it, up there? That is correct. You need a sponsor like that before you could put on some presentation or, you know, give an assistance like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Karen says she could have taught most of the medical part, which we know that she certainly could. Um, Let's see, our next article up is... uh, this is kind of a follow-up, which is why I've included it early in the show. It says, uh, and I haven't watched the video, and it's a scuba company that's growing basil in the world's first underwater farm. Um, and, they, and they actually do show some images. So I think before it was more of uh, they're just getting started, and now it looks like they actually have something going on. 
uh, 100 meters off the coast of Nola, Italy, scuba divers approached the pod of 2,000-liter acrylic demispheres that resembled giant jellyfish standing in the bottom of the ocean, anchored to the ocean floors uh, by rope, chains, screws. Biospheres surround a half-ton metal tree that serves as a 12-foot table protector. And inside, they have thriving 15 to 36 feet below the surface. Uh, founded in 2012 by father and son duo Sergey and Luco Gambernini, uh, and run by scuba company Ocean Reef Group, Nemo's Garden is an underwater farm that will grow anything from basil to aloe vera. The pair, acutely aware of the limitations of Earth's resources, humanity's ability to squander them, sought an alternative solution for precarious process of farming, which has become an increasingly difficult process as climate change intensifies. The resource we use right on land right now will not be there in the future. They're scarce, and they will run out. Underwater, many of the issues in traditional farming vanish while still providing plants with their core needs. Isolated from inclement weather like hail and the devastating effects of parasites, the sunlight each plant needs still reaches the biosphere. Limiting potential for parasites also lets Nemo's garden remain pesticide-free, although an occasional crab or octopus stop by to check out the setup. The stability of the ocean's temperature creates low-maintenance water management system, while traditional farms also struggle with insufficient or inconsistent rain. The temperature difference inside and the outside of the spheres can cause water at the bottom to evaporate, condense in the inner walls, thus feeding more than 90 seeds in the biosphere. But the biosphere went through many iterations before evolving into the plant utopias they are today. Sergio and Luca grew the first underwater crop, basil, in the Bay of Noli in 2012, since then their mechanisms evolved, but once looked like plastic bags that storms washed ashore now look like technology uh, from Atlantis. Perfecting humani- uh, humidity of each plant species remains a constant learning process. They grow 50 to 60 species in seven biospheres, creating the first scuba salad during the summer of 2014 with underwater basil and salad leaves. After switching to hydroponics, a method of growing plants that replicate soil with nutrition solution, Nemo's garden has seen more success growing vegetables. If you're wondering, the underwater plants and vegetables taste the same as their land-born counterparts, according to analysis by private research company uh, CERSS or RSAA. Due to the extra pressure of the cultivating underwater, the professor air concentration of essential oils. Sergio and Luca still aspire to scale up underwater farming as a sustainable game changer in the agriculture industry, but relief workers like Rachel Kerr expressed concern to the garden about maintaining local food infrastructure. It would need to respect local customs and be mindful of the environment. Uh, Luca remains optimistic. The idea that my dad dreamt about that we created together, this could really be something in the future, something that would change the future we live in. And, uh, I love some of these photos. Uh, quite the, a large fear. Do they say? Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm just looking at one of the, I couldn't get into the same one you're at, so I went to a different site. They talked about Ocean Reef Group has received interest from businesses and organizations, but has thus far declined or decided against selling the concept. They believe the, its place in the food system could be dynamic from small producers to NGOs working on nutrition projects in developing countries. Interesting. Yeah. Well, they uh, if you if the the photo in the article that I'm seeing, they got a dome, 
and you've got a diver who's kind of standing. So he's standing on the bottom something. There must be some platform. But he still has a regular in his mouth, so it looks like he's breathing from that. I see and that, too. Is that to the one sh- off, to his, off to his left? You see the lady who doesn't have a gear on, any gear on? No, it's this photo's cropped, so you can't see her. So. Oh, okay. Uh, because it looks to me like this section I'm looking at is in part of a dome, and I think the key item they're looking at there, there's no contaminations in in that area because it's on a dome. And being underwater, it helps maintain one temperature, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure how it's getting water watered. Well, they say they're using hydroponics. Mm-hmm. And what a hydroponics is that you'd have a solution uh, that has all the nutrients the plants need. So they're really not necessarily using the water. Right. So the, it's, it's, it almost appears you could u- do this and even a, and I don't know, are they in the saltwater area? That was one item I didn't see. But they said seaweed, so I'm assuming it is. Yeah. So if they're in saltwater, you know, these plants don't grow in saltwater. They need fresh water. But if they're doing hydroponics above the surface level of the water in the dome, then that would make sense. If At first I thought they were talking about fresh water, which you, we could do this same thing in the Great Lakes or in ponds. Uh, but with the hydroponics, any overflow, if you're not capturing it all, you could actually contribute to algae blooms because, I mean, you're given you – know, algae loves the same thing a plant does. Yeah, the article here just said, unlike underground hydrophonic systems and greenhouses, which rely on various heating and cooling systems, as well as LED lights to regulate the temperature, submersion in seawater offers a stable temperature while avoiding exposure to extreme weather conditions on land. It said, um, when it comes to sunlight, studies have shown that a majority of plants, although not seaweed, are dependent on the red spectrum of light in, and that says here, physiological development. Depend upon red spectrum and light for physical development. All right, physiological development. The red can filter out at depths around 5 to 15 meters. To address this, the pod just submerged to 5 to 8 meters. They could go deeper, but more data is needed to work out the vibe of this. So they're well, definitely in the development stage. Yeah. Uh, they, they say that they're 15 to 36 feet below the surface, which would be uh, 5 to what? 12 meters approximately. Um, but so, I mean, that, that seems to be not too, that's a workable depth. You don't have, uh, you, you, you're not building up huge, enormous structures. You're really only dealing with one or two atmospheres. Well, one atmosphere, not, yeah. I mean, I like the idea. And Karen in the chat room is saying that Michigan's past uh, medical marijuana, we could do that right out there in Lake Michigan. So that, that would be a cash crop. See, so yeah, that's what you do. You do the dome, you do the marijuana in the dome, and then you do the, uh, you could do uh, age whiskey and and uh, wine in the bottom. Well, I think you'd have more variation in temperature than you want here, because you can be 70 degrees to 35 degrees. Uh, it's a variance they're not getting wherever they're at here. Yeah. Well, we certainly couldn't do it all year round. So we'll have to follow it. I, I, I find that interesting. And then if you're into rebreather diving, this one's from deeperblue.com. Uh, they are announcing through a press, uh, from a, information they got in a press release that RTC and RESA, R-E-S-A, agree on rebreather training standards. On November 13th, the two organizations met prior to the DEMA, Dive Equipment and Marketing Association Annual Trade Show in Vegas, 
to find a common path forward in regard to industry-wide rebreather training standards in much the same way that Recreational Scuba Training Council, RSTC, has provided industry training standards for scuba diving. The success of the meeting means that moving forward, one industry minimum training standard is being established. The RTC was formed by rebreather training agencies to help develop common training standards for the industry. And RISA was formed for rebreather manufacturers to do the same in addition to establishing minimum standards for manufacturing. The agreement allows both organizations to move forward with a single common standard together, reducing confusion and duplication of effort. Mark Caney of uh, PADI and RTC said, it is something we've been working on for some time with RISA. It represents a significant and important development for the future of rebreather training. Efforts to have industry agreement on standards is an important aspect of self-regulation, hoping to improve liability protections and avoid unnecessary government regulation. The RTC has published two new standards delineating future stages in rebreather divers' development, both advanced technical diving levels. The two new standards are RTC Technical Rebreather Diver Level 2 and RTC Technical Rebreather Diver Level 3. These two standards train divers to use mixes containing helium to a max depth of 60 meters, which is about 197 feet, and 100 meters, 328 feet, respectively. The member bodies of RTC can specify that a course in their own system equates to one of these standards, in which case they are confirming that their course at least meets the minimum requirements of this level. All the RTC standards can be downloaded for free from here. So if you go to deeperblue.com, you can get some additional information on it. And I think the gentleman who's doing that has got a lot of experience. That's Grant Graves. Uh And background for him is he's been diving over 20 years, has over 5,000 dives. He's Trimex instructor trainer, Paddy course director. He also has a Bachelor of Science in Marine Biology and has been technical diving for over 15 years, which he's been there for a long time. He's an author, photographer, cinematographic, videographic. He does a little bit of all of that. And uh, he he did uh, see. You've seen his work on the Diving Adventure series, the Aquanauts. He's worked on that. And he also has his, uh, the owner of Scuba and Film Enterprises Limited, which is a, a water safety coordinator company that facilitates water work in the inner. So he's got the certs and the experience. Well, very interesting. Well, I'm glad to see that they, they've come together because this, like they were pointing out in the press release, that this helps re- reduce the need for government standards on it. And then it'll, uh, and they haven't said it specifically in the article, but I'm assuming you could potentially take one level with one agency, and then if you are in an opportunity to only be able to take it with a different one, they would already give you recognition for completing the first level with the other agency. So you're not having to go back to ground zero just by changing agencies for the training. Yeah, one would think so. So hopefully that's what it how it ends up. And then, boy, doesn't this bring back some memory? South Carolina, uh, out of the Charlotte Observer, uh, Coastal Scuba Company out of Myrtle Beach has found a ton of Megalodon shark teeth off the coast of North and South Carolina. They said, here's a look at their most recent find and a glimpse of their haul off of South Carolina coast back in June. And that, that it, they're not showing any scale, but if I had to guess, those are some pretty nice keepers. Looking at the background, 
collectively together. Those are really nice. Uh, they were talking about that particular trove of megalodon was uh, identified or picked up in an area that's about 100 feet deep. So you're limited in your downtime like we weren't since we were diving off of Charleston. And we were diving more in the river where it was 40-some-odd feet. So our stay time yeah. is a lot longer. But they also have a lot better visibility out there where they're at. Yeah. Because so I think this is the one where the SAFs uh, scuba diving goes, maybe not in South Carolina, but near there. Right. Where they where they they drop down the anchor line and everybody gets a sliver of the pie. And right. And they're also using, and, they're using scooters. Yes. But some nice finds. Beautiful. Oh, aren't they, though? And then as we talked about earlier in the episode, uh, pre-DEMA, DEMA, I think, believe, has officially started. Uh, yep, you get on Sinewick Facebook. From Divers Incorporated is out there. What's that? Oh, is he? I was going to say, yeah, I've seen it on Facebook where they've been having a lot of back search for different people. Yeah, yeah, he made his, his way out there. Uh, so this one's from uh, Scuba Diver Magazine, and they're giving a, a preview of day one. Uh, which I think they're just finishing up day two now as we're recording this, but they said uh, some of the things to, to take a look at, and they had their a few items, and some of them are some that we've covered in the news. They talk about Sea Bob, an underwater sled uh, to watercraft e-jet power system. Uh, said rear fins improve mobility and underwater speed about 20 kilometers an hour, almost one meter per second. It retails for $17,480 and available in multiple colors. Cover a lot of territory with that little sucker. It's it's fancy. There's, I think that's what they're showing here in the uh, photos at the beginning of the article. And then they have iBubble, which we've covered a few times before, which is a an autonomous diving drone. I think that's the one that will keep taking photos of you. That one, the prices only start at 4,000 euros. And then they have uh, ReSafe and Sun. Fun snorkeling with Tuga. Uh, this is a product that uh, offers sun protection, uh, but it's reef safe. So the, as we've, there's some ingredients that are in sun tanning lotion that they're uh, thinking negatively affects the reefs. So uh, this formulation presumably will address that. $38. I like the item where they've got the uh, universal fit reg mount where they're mounting cameras and light systems on their regulator. It just seems to make sense. I mean, the regulator's got about the best view. Uh, plus, it probably doesn't look quite as silly as the ones that you've got mounted between your eyes on your forehead. I don't know. Are you looking at the same picture? I'm not seeing a picture. I'm just seeing the, uh, did, you, oh, okay. did you take a look at it? It's different because mm -hmm. it uh, both this one here is a regular mask plus a enhanced line to the regulator on which you have the camera and the lights mounted. And then they also have a full face version, which is what I'd want. So you don't have this issue, but it's quite interesting. Yeah. I clicked on the link and it's trying to load, but. Oh, okay. It's not, it's probably going to take a little bit to get there. Well, what they're uh, saying is new for 2019, the gadget provides scuba divers with the option of adding a camera light or both to the second stage regulator or full face mask without any additional weight. Plus, you have the option of 360-degree positioning for the setup. The reg mount buoyancy assist device, called BAD, 
offsets the weight of added accessories, rendering them neutral to positive buoyancy when submerged. The extended arm allows divers to choose the ideal camera or light position for the best possible angle while ensuring the added accessories are in a low-profile state. Works with all versions of GoPro cameras or similar cameras and retails at $35. It's not too bad a price. Yeah, it looks like a, a, a clamp-on device with a, a large tube that goes on that on your regulated first stage that you can clamp on those devices. Yeah, it wasn't quite what I was imagining, but and, and part of it's a camera angle. They have mm-hmm. the shot here and put a, pasted a photo in the chat room, and it's yeah, it's it's like it's stiffening up that uh, cable or using the cable to help position it. And then you mount the light and the GoPro or camera above it. So for the price, that's a nice price point. I think they're going to sell a lot of them. Yeah, that looks like it'd be interesting to try out. And if you bought it and didn't like it, yeah. you're not that out. You're not out that much. No, and you you've already spent minimum of two hundred dollars on the camera or the the GoPro, and then you know probably another eighty to two hundred dollars on that light. So uh, yeah, why not? Oh, and here it is. I, that The website finally came up, RidgeMount.com. Yeah, I just went to another one on the Dima show. Uh, it looks like a nice place to be if you had the opportunity. Oh, uh, yeah. I, th- I think maybe next year. Next year will be uh, coming up on our 10th year. Maybe we can get an invite to it. Well, maybe you could uh, get in there with uh, Warren and get him to send uh, Jim down and tag along. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that could be an option. I think between our connections, we can find somebody to to let us crash the party. <laughs> but the nice thing about Dima is all the 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 uh, ancillary products that come out that people talk about. Like this one is in Forbes magazine or Forbes dot com, and it says a robotics company spent more than one point two million dollars to help swimmers fly underwater. The inspiration for the SeaFly scooter came from what some may consider an odd place for an underwater device, an airplane. I looked out the airplane window, seeing the clouds are floating backwards and the plane moves. Suddenly it came in my mind that since we can fly in air with airplanes, why why can't we find a way to fly in water? That epiphany helped uh, Yian Chen, 29, who became co-founder of Boyo Gandoa Robot Technology Company, doing business as RoboSea. RoboSea's latest offering is a sea flyer, a scuba diver inspired scuba scooter that pulls swimmers through the water. It can dive depths of 145 feet, well below the recommended maximum depth for the average scuba diver, and is held in front by the user with two hands. At currently crowdfunded price is $369, much lower than most scooters that are about $1,000 or more. Few underwater scooters available under the $1,000 tend to be heavy and bulky, making it difficult to carry on vacations. Chen and his and her team. I, I sorry, excuse me, it's her. Uh, wanted to make an alternative to those offerings, so their scooter weighs eight pounds, is about twenty inches long, and six inches high. Chen, along with co-founders Jiang Mingle, twenty-seven, and Shen Langdong, twenty-seven, started RoboSea in twenty fifteen in Beijing, China. The company has created a handful of robotic offerings, like underwater fish-shaped camera drone that avoids scaring away actual fish and a six-foot robotic shark that can track objects for professional and scientific research applications. The Sea Flyer is the first scooter and their second consumer product. 
Before developing the Sea Flyer, the Robo Sea Team studied other underwater crafts beyond scuba divers, like submersible, bubble-shaped vehicles, and large professional propeller devices. They also spoke with users that devices ranging from divers to lifeguard and researchers uh, to fight uh, to figure out what the features they felt were lacking the current market offerings. Their in-house engineers then began the design and prototyping phase, which Shen categorized into three categories, functionality, performance, and reliability. That included testing the difference materials, shapes to ensure sea flyer was perfectly buoyant, achieved when approximately one inch of the sea flyer was above the surface and then let go. Chen says that while the process may not seem especially complicated, it provided a challenge for the engineers who solved the problem by including internal buoyancy comp- compartments containing a mixture of floating materials with the sea flyer frame. In-water maneuverability wasn't the only challenge the team faced. Using sea flyer and deep choirs, a battery which generates heat, and unfortunately the heat can age and strain the device's materials. So through a series of experiments and tests over several months, they created a new concept for the battery housing. The sea flyer now has a channel for water to flow across and cool the outside of the battery, which is divided into several different sections to ensure the electrodes within it are well protected from water. Between testing and materials and prototyping, research and permitting, and more, RoboC spent more than $1.2 million on research and development over a year-long period. The Sea Flyer was introduced to Indiegogo for crowdfunding in early October, where it reached $30,000 funding goal in just over three days. Jean credits some of the success of their video made in partnership with the Crowdfunding Marketing Promotional Agency but she believes the popularity can be explained primarily by its design feature, including a high-contrast OLED display, which shows statistics like depth, water temperature, universal controls, sleek sports car-inspired look. We've helped the simple, beautiful structure to make it underwater sports seem easy, let everyone feel an extraordinary experience. We want Seaflyer to impact customers like a fancy gadget in a James Bond movie. So would you try one out? Oh, heck yeah. The battery has got to be quite interesting also to... Um, develop that much heat, you know. So it must has a have a significant current draw, and that's why yeah. they needed the extra cooling. But looking well, I, at it, it doesn't look very large where the battery compartment is. You take a look no. at that first one. Yeah, I I agree. I I like the size of it. I like the format. It just seems to make sense. And what I think they're capitalizing on is that the 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 scooters or DPVs that we're used to seeing are more of an outgrowth of, uh, you know, lead-acid batteries like you would see in a car. And somebody just hasn't taken the time to re-engineer them and rethink them for the lithium-ion, which is, I would bet dollars to donuts, that's what they're they're using in this. And uh, it's really not surprising that they're building up that heat, because if you take a look at a Tesla or any of the uh, successful electric vehicles, they run the same thing. They use radiators through the batteries to help them cool when they decharge or when they're charging. Uh, so it kind of makes sense. And it does. I can see where that could add some additional challenges because now you've got to expand your waterproofing. You know, instead of having just one case, you're putting additional holes through the item. Uh, but you can do a lot with heat sinks. So, uh, you know, a part of it is thinking and realizing that you need to do it. Uh, but I don't think it's a super challenge easier said than done but uh, I'd, I'd be curious of the runtime i don't uh, they didn't seem to that down 
Yeah. Uh, did they say what speeds they were getting? I did not see a speed. That's why I was curious. Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be some of it. Uh, you know, some of the DPVs that we see, well, those got two or three hour ranges, don't they? Uh, when you get into the really expensive ones, yeah, but the ones like uh, a lot of the guys in the, in the club are using, anywhere from 45 minutes to the top I've seen is an hour and a half. But they're heavy, too. Yeah. Karen's, uh, or somebody's been, uh, is pasting them in the chat room. Yeah, well, Karen used one last time we had that uh, pool party at the uh, high school, and mm-hmm. I think she purchased one, and you can have a lot of fun with them. Yeah. They're, they're saying the speed, according to this that she put in the chat room, is 3.4 or 2.3 miles per hour or 4.1 kilometers. No, it's at miles per hour, so there must be two models. Oh. No, I think it's a typo. I think they got some typos on there. Because below they have feet and meters, so that must be miles per hour and then kilometers per hour, like you said. But it's not what the chart is. Uh, voltage is 4.8, 14.8 volts. Capacity is 148 watt hours, which really isn't a lot. Charging time is five hours. 10,000 milliwatt hours, which really isn't a ton either. And they're saying they're going to get 60 minutes. I think they're a little optimistic on that. Looking at that specs and what it is, I this this may be a case where let's let's see somebody who's got one, you know, the version one before you invest in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the price isn't that bad, so you know, may, maybe worth taking a chance. But uh, I'm a little skeptical for that price and those specs that they're getting that much out of it. Mm-hmm. But I like how it is. I mean, I like the little scooter thing. And I just think, you know, they've, they're they smart with adding the electronics in it because you've already got it. Why not? You're adding extra value. Yeah. Uh, and I would even say, why not put a camera in the front? You know, if you put a little, had a little dome out the front with a camera and then maybe you had like a little display you could look at and see what the camera's shooting and maybe you could even move it up and down a little bit. Uh, that could be cool. I mean, uh, I, I like it. So. Yeah, because they put the camera in the front with the dome, you don't increase your drag yeah and because your hands are tied up in the scooter it just it just seems like that would make sense so yeah so maybe they'll, they'll do another model maybe, maybe we, we gave some ideas but uh they're on indiegogo and we'll just have to see how it goes and then i want, this, I want the next item you're going to talk about I, I knew that every time i come across one of these this one was in uh maxim uh it's a half it's a hyper sub is half speedboat, half submarine. And it uh, looks like something out of James Bond, uh, an amphibious motorcycle. It turns into a jet ski at the push of a button. This villainous counterpart would definitely pilot this crazy, unique watercraft. That's half submarine, half speedboat. HSP Technologies claims the hyper sub multipurpose subsea vehicle or hyper SV is the first long range speedboat that is a true submarine. On the surface, the two 480-horsepower straight-six diesel engines can propel a 45-foot vessel along at a brisk 35 miles an hour. Its cruise speed of 300 of 330 miles per hour can travel about 500 miles. Upon arrival at a point of interest, Hypersub can dive up to a th- 1,200 feet. Submerged propulsion comes courtesy of two. 60-horsepower interspace thrusters capable of achieving a max speed of around 6.3 miles per hour 
over a 300-mile range. A crew can stay submerged comfortably for 12 hours and up to 96 hours in an emergency situation. HSP Technologies offers a number of different cabin configurations. Single cabin layouts can comfortably accommodate a pilot and four passengers or a pilot and nine personnel with military-style seating. So they're basically saying if you're real friendly. Uh, two cabin configurations allow for more storage are also available. With the functionality of a traditional boat, the Hypersub is the first submarine that can launch in only three feet of water. Plus, it totally wouldn't look too out of place parked in Batman's garage. It's got that going, too. I also noticed there was no reference to how much this is. If you have to ask, I think that's how the saying goes. And it's, and it's pretty much obvious. I can't afford that. I'm, you know, that's, a, you know, 1,200 feet. That's quite deep. I'm looking at the uh, profile and the different, looks like different windows. Yeah. That's a lot of glass there segmented. It's like, darn. Yeah, that's when I saw the 1,200 feet. If you said 300 feet, I'd go, I'd buy that. You know, buy it meaning believe it. But 1,200 feet with that design, um, uh, yeah, I'd, I need to see a little bit more. And where my not quite sure is it seems like every time we see these proposed to never be seen again type products, aren't they always in an inland lake? <laughs> and you look at that and that's what this is. It looks like stage shots of an incomplete prototype. You know, like let's well, like the one shot where it's in the, the front where it's a black boat on the water. That could just be a boat, you know, done in the carbon black style with the, the domes and then they show the bottom it's a completely different boat it's white and it's just most of it's below the surface right i was looking at i went to the site to look at it the acrylic version has a depth limit of 500 feet with a safety factor of 1x and the steel this is cabin materials for the 12 is for the 1200 foot depth capability with a factor of 1 yeah, this is another one I want somebody to go first and tell me if it works. <laughs> well, it's a viable cargo capacity is 6,000 pounds. Standard air uh, dive air storage is 4,000 standard cubic feet at 4,500 PSI. Uh, 96 volt DC and 12 volt DC electrical system. SCBA air umbilical for prolonged diver support. S and scuba tank recharge capability has a rear and side deck space for a remote-operated vehicle for deployment or other cargo purposes, and a phototronics periscope mast for surface reconnaissance while submerged. Doesn't this sound like they've got a particular market in mind? Yeah, military. Yeah. Battery load is 28.8 thousand kilowatts. Yeah. But the two 480-horsepower straight-six diesel engines. Yeah, I'm looking at that. That's, uh, that's, pretty... that's something else. Fuel capacity, 525 gallons. Yeah. yeah. So they, they've, they've, they've got some markets in mind that uh, we'll have to see. Runs 34 gallons an hour. Yeah, Planing I'm... speed achieved in eight seconds. Well, you know it's going to be pricey. Uh, yeah. Any, I mean, just that specs on a surface boat, you know, forty-five foot boat with those specs, you're you're going to be you know, near the hundred thousand mark. I'd probably more we... than that. 
that's be- but that's the, before you even get the in the talk about it being a sub. Yeah, the hybrid sub has additional safety features not available in other designs. Chief among these is the ability to use over thirty thousand pounds of lift if needed when submerged. This unprecedented feature gives a hyper sub an ability to rapidly return to the surface, even with a fully flooded cabin, where a normal surface craft, uh, you know, where normal surface craft operation can be resumed. Now, if I had a leak at 500 feet and you made a rapid ascent, I think I'm going to be in big trouble. Well, I think they're doing the same thing like they did in the Hunley. I mean, they brought the Hunley back. That survived. Yes. And they buried the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you could tell we're not in the marketing department for this vehicle. But I've never heard of this this passive safety system achieved through hyperbuoyancy or hyperbalancing. I don't well, know what that is and how that works. But it's, well, it's a hyper it's a hyper sub, so you have to have hyperbalance. Yeah, but how do you do that? I'm curious to know that. I don't know. I think it's just a, a marketing term. Uh, I mean, buoyancy and ballasting like any any other, uh, may, and the make it hyper, uh, you know, because what they talked, the SCBA tanks, isn't that what they were saying? Yeah. So that's what I, my guess is going to be, reading between the lines and knowing marketing people, is that they're, they're, it's probably a, uh, a high-pressure tank, you know, not your normal, you know, 3,000, but, you know, probably like 6,000 or 8,000 PSI is what those probably using a you know one of those fiber spun tanks it doesn't say that it says it's a double hull if the surface's hull is breached for any reason the ballast system with over eight separate compartments would have to be compromised before sinking and it can provide 48 hours of life support in the event it does sink now, i just wonder if it sank in 1200 feet that's going to be interesting it says uh, if inverted during extreme weather conditions it can submerge and write itself Okay. This can this can be interesting if it gets out there. Yeah. Well, you could with with the size of it. I mean, just think about this uh, in Lake Michigan. I mean, you could do tours. Yeah, you could do anything. You could go to any depth out there in the Great Lakes. Yeah. You know, maybe go see a submarine or airplanes on the bottom, and you could do it as a tour. So let's see. So cruise speed is thirty miles an hour, and it can travel five hundred miles. So you you you, know, you could do a, a cruise in the morning and a cruise in the afternoon. Yeah, go out there and check out the UC ninety seven. Yeah, you know, sw- you know, swing by the uh, uh, Ann Arbor Five and maybe some of the the deeper reps out there, the Hennepin and stuff. So, you know, they're looking for people to invest in the company. It's a very easy huh. process. Yeah, just give them. They're writing them a check. Absolutely. Yeah, preferred, like uh, preferred minimum. That one can invest is forty five hundred dollars. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens down the road. This yeah. is one to watch for. Yeah. So it sounds like a some, mega, mega millionaire, you know, private craft again. Like a like a Branson type thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing with this one is they've they've definitely got a market beyond the super rich uh, that they're going after, and it wouldn't you wouldn't have to do too many of them to get. Uh, somebody to go into it. I bet Iran would buy a few. <laughs> so uh, does it say where the the company's out of? I did not notice. I already moved it. Okay. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. 
And I have to say, I've, I've had little chance to get in the water and my prospects before hitting the water into our turkey dive is slim to none. Hopefully I can get out for the turkey dive. Yeah, I hope to be there. Like I said, the, we've got uh, football on Saturday. And if they win that, then they go to state, which is supposed to be the 24th, which, like I mentioned, if, it's, if they win, which I hope they do, and they play in the Dome on the 24th, I will be there with the football team. Oh, that I'm, I mean, that'd be one that I'd even consider going to. That I've, I've always wanted to uh, watch a high school game there. Yeah, I went so, last oh, year. It was, it was really nice. They didn't win last year, but uh, mm-hmm. they got a chance. I think they're 12-0 right now. Yeah. Well, they're doing amazing. Yep. So let's see, because uh, we got the turkey dive coming up. Um, I saw that some people were talking about Lake 16 this last week, and do we know if anybody actually made it out and in the water? I think two people made it in. Jim had a, uh, a serious family emergency yeah, back I on the that. coast. You know about that. Yep. Because I know he had planned on going to that. Uh, but Bob and I can't remember who went with Rob. Uh, I know he had a, a technical difficulty with his heating element, so he had to brave cold oh, temperatures. No. I know, terrible. He was in a dry sand. suit with uh, thermal, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but they had uh, what, a 38, 40-minute dive. Um, I think they set it 80 feet. They had 10-foot visibility, and they did their normal scan around. But the visibility wasn't too bad until they got deeper, and then, like I said, 10 feet. But it was, That's- I thought he kept saying 38 degrees. Water temperature. You know, and that's kind of weird. I, I've never been able to figure that out. But normally when you get to that depth, your visibility opens up. I I don't think I've ever seen, well, I take that back, that uh, ice dive we did a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. That was the best I've ever seen it. I mean, you could be on the platform, look down and see the whole panoramic view. But yeah, once but- you got away from that and you started looking back, it was Back to that murk again. Uh, but usually when it's deep, I feel like you, I've got, you know, 15 to 20 feet is pretty normal. Just, uh, I, I, you know, in the summer, it's usually you can't see from one side of the platform to the other. And uh, the condition of the platform really sucks right now. It's on a kilt. Uh, the phone booth is down or the you know, chamber that you go into and talk. That's laying on the bottom. So uh, it looks like another year or two. All those wonderful things we used to play with won't be there. Yeah, and then Karen in the chat room pasted in the, the dive report. So the, well, they're saying air temperature was 37. Uh, oh, no, that was water temperature. The surface water was 44. And they had ended up with a 38-minute dive. So that's good. And as we said earlier, you got the DEMA show going on, so you've got people out there uh, but with the ice you know we, we could be looking at a nice ice dive season oh yeah and again we've this has been an odd year for a lot of us that we have not had the diving we normally have there have been a lot of good lake diving and wreck diving which is more than we've had in the past you know and some deeper wrecks but the river like we were talking about last week we've hardly hit the river at all no no and i think at this point you know, unless we get a little Indian summer in December, I don't think there's going to be much interest in the river. Well, you wouldn't anymore because all the leaves are down. And remember how that covers up everything in the shallows? Yeah, 
So you're not going to do any grubbing along the banks unless you want to go through a couple of feet of leaves. That's true. Well, did you have anything else that you wanted to cover? Well, you know, I do have a little item since we're talking diving still. Uh, it's called Six Simple Guidelines for Signaling on the Surface. Want me to go through that? Certainly. Sure. Okay. Even when you surface from your dive, it's not quite over yet. You still need to convey your status to the crew and get to the boat. What's more, you should be prepared and know how to act in case you get separated from the boat or need urgent help. So here are six simple but important tips for surface signaling. Number one, and the primary, try to surface within feet of the boat. Go up the anchor line or the down line. So when finishing your dive, it's best to surface as close to the boat as possible. Some cases, this option is not available. However, if you have the ability to control where you ascend and are knowledgeable of your location within the water, surface close to the boat, that's your best bet. Now, know how to make the OK signal and when to use it. If you find yourself surfacing within visible distance from the boat, it's important to convey your status to the crew members on deck so they'll know you're not in danger. This can be communicated through the OK signal, which is, you know, so you bend both hands in the air above your head, forming an O shape. If you're carrying equipment and do not have two hands available, you can make the same symbol by bending one arm so the fingertips touch your head, again, forming that O. By giving the OK signal, you're informing the crew members you can swim back to the boat on your own without assistance. Third aspect, if you're not okay but do not require immediate care, you must communicate that. So if you surface above the water but are unable to swim back due to muscle cramping, currents are too strong, you must signal that you need assistance. So instead of creating the okay signal, you should raise only one arm in the air, making a fist with your hand. The signal alerts those on the boat that you're not in grave danger but are unable to make it back on your own. It's also imperative that the boat crew understands the hand signal, so if it's not a diver on board, one should indoctrinate people on board, you know, the safety person, what hand signals mean if you see a diver come up. Uh, Number four is if you are in distress, do not hesitate to communicate this. Anything that calls for urgent help, whether it's a missing or unconscious diver or the inability to maintain buoyancy, must be conveyed immediately. Waving one or both hands in the air is the known signal for distress, which means you're not waving at people on the shore, people. You don't want to get in the habit of doing that or making people say, hey, I'm waving to my mom or something, right? They will say um, only use a signal if you're experiencing a true emergency. However, do not hesitate to signal distress if you or a partner requires immediate care. Number five talks about always carry some type of alert equipment. If service far away from the boat, it can be difficult for crew members to locate you, especially in choppy water. Therefore, it's important that you carry visual and audible signal devices on every dive in those situations. At the minimum, have an inflatable surface marker and whistle. And if you have the type that attaches to your air tank, that's even better because you can get a really long and loud blast, but you still got to have air. The second is a signal mirror because you can see the reflection from that for a long, long way. Secondary is emergency strobe or light stick is essential if you're diving at night. And it said you can also signal the boat by waving your dive light side to side, attach it to the top of your float or your safety sausage to get that extra extra, uh, altitude. And then it says be resourceful. Just one second. 
Sorry about that. Uh, be resourceful. If you do not have any specialized equipment, use for alerting those on deck. Do what you can to signal your whereabouts. Brightly covered fin, gain attention. Invisibility is always an option. So be smart when diving, know your signals, and do what it takes to be noticed and convey communication. And if you want it later down the road, we can go to the four types, the visual, audible, electronic, and news. Yeah. Uh, the that the tip I, I especially liked was the the signal for I can't get back to the boat but I'm okay. Uh, that's one I I I wouldn't have known if somebody had given it that to me I would have probably signaled back Are you okay? Not knowing what the symbol was. The well, that's why we we made sure during our job briefing or our briefing for the ecology dive. He says when you're out there, don't wave to people on shore <laughs> yeah. because that's a distress signal. If you didn't realize that. Yeah, that one I would have figured out the distress signal because that's how kind of how I would signal. If like if you were having problems, it's like you know just wave an arm as long as you can. Yeah, you can usually if you see somebody flailing in the water like that, you're late because they're going to drown before you get there. Well, all are good tips. Thank you again. And if you like to follow the show, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Our website, which has been cap up by Jim Billings is www.scubaobsessed.com and uh, we're on Twitter at scubaobsessed and if you are enjoying the show we could use your support and assistance any any amount can help $3 or more gets you early access to the show notes and we are coming up with that big annual hosting agreement we got monthly fees where we pay for hosting the audio files and then the the websites are a big chunk because uh, we save a little bit of money by doing it once, but that's coming up here in November, December. So we could really use your support. Uh, and then also like uh, how Karen's doing, you know, you can, there's other things you can do. If you have a particular skill or want to help out, just let us know. And uh, you know, she, she went out of her way and helped line up some interviews. So we'll have some interviews coming on the show here in the next coming few weeks. So have fun with the joke. <laughs> I'll catch it later. Okay. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> Bye. So I, I think he's just getting out of the way to avoid the joke. Uh, so uh, here we go. Murphy, a furniture dealer from Dublin, decides to expand the line of furniture in his store. So he went to Paris to see what he could find. After arriving in Paris, he visited with some manufacturers and selected a line that he thought would sell back, sell well back at home. To celebrate the new acquisition, he decided to visit a small bistro and have a glass of wine. Before long, a very beautiful young Parisian girl came to his table and asked him something in French, which Murphy could not understand. So he motioned to the vacant chair and invited her to sit down. He tried to speak to her in English, but she did not speak his language. After a couple of minutes of trying to communicate with her, he took a napkin and drew a picture of a wine glass and showed it to her. She nodded, so he ordered a glass of wine for her. After sitting together at the table, he took another napkin and drew a picture of a plate with food on it. She nodded, and they left the bistro and found a quiet cafe where they could, uh, that featured a small group playing romantic music. They ordered dinner, after which he took another napkin and drew a picture of a couple dancing. She nodded and got up to dance. They danced until the cafe closed and the band was packing up. Back in the table, the young lady took a napkin and drew a picture of a four-poster bed. To this day, Murphy has no idea how she figured out that he was in the furniture business. Yeah, I think she was pretty insightful. See, I, I'm, I'm missing Mac. He can't groan. 
<laughs> but the, the chat room is doing it for us. So on that note, until next time, go out there and get wet and dive safe. <laughs>